The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes. As always, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Joining me as always from Epic Global Solutions now is our buddy Dan Trelauer. Danny, good morning. How are you? Craig, good morning. It's nice to be home from traveling and, and, and getting ready for the Christmas weekend. There you go. And happy to have uh, from California today, Brian, who's a gambler in recovery like myself. And Dan, Brian, appreciate you joining us. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so uh, we've got our first rain starting here in Southern California. Our summer's kind of... Uh, come to an end here temporarily, but we've had a string of 75-degree days. I can't complain. Now go ahead and rub it in. It's 32 degrees right now. That's awesome. I apologize. All good, all good. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, when was your last wager? June 27th, 2016. Uh, Congratulations. Working on almost a full decade. Uh, Very proud of you. Congrats on that. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Let's uh, tell the story, if we may. Uh, where were you? How old were you? As you look back on your life, where you were first exposed uh, to any kind of gambling, as you can recall? Sure. Um, you know, uh, as a little kid, actually, uh, you know, my, my grandfather, uh, this would go back uh, uh, to the, I guess, the early 70s. Um, he had a slot machine that was actually from Prohibition that he mm-hmm. had uh, acquired in, the, I guess, the 30s. And it was in his basement, and this is back east. And uh, as a kid, man, that little nickel machine, I tell you what, it would just captivate me for hours. So I, I got to say, I was probably all of six or seven when I right. uh, first got exposed to it. And was it, was it a gambling thing? Like you'd have to put nickels into the machine and pull the lever? Like you actually experienced the whole thing? Absolutely. No, it absolutely. That was it. We'd, uh, we'd get rolls of nickels, and, uh, you know, that was just so much fun. And uh, we'd put them in there, pull the lever, and, you know, it was uh, just uh, a lot of fun, so I thought. Um, and it would just, uh, you know, hit the, you know, the, the jackpot or whatever, and I would just, it would just pull me in even further. But, yeah, spent and hours then and hours. Yeah. from that stage of your life, were you very quick to, as you started getting older and into your teen years, did you find yourself more attracted to other types of gambling, whether it be casino games, sports wagering, parlay cards, you know, the horse, uh, horses, et cetera. Did you find yourself kind of leaning in that direction early on? You know, I, I really didn't. It was kind of dormant, uh, for lack of a better um, way to describe it. But um, <clears throat> my parents were from from uh, back east, from a, from a town that really, you know, centered around, not centered around, but loved horse racing, Churchill Downs. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, as a kid, we'd go there. Uh, of course, that's where the Kentucky Derby is. Right. And, you know, I would, we would go there. My parents would go. And I was just, I just got sucked in. You know, any money I had, I just got sucked in right there. But, but that was uh, just, uh, you know, like a, like a one-off. I'd do it and didn't really wager a lot on my daily. But when I got a little bit older, man, I just rediscovered it. And I just uh, got pulled in. Was there any part of growing up where you felt like a cool factor where – here you are kind of underage, but you're exposed to the, you know, the, the horses at, at Churchill or you got the, you know, the machine in the basement where you were different than the other kids or could 
bring them into this cool world that they didn't know existed and that made you feel a certain way? You know, it was actually one of those things where it was like I was, in my mind, developing a plan where I was going to best everyone, right? Because I had a, 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 a secret point A to point B to making money, and, and my friends just, they couldn't never understand that I was going to be rich, and uh, and they just would just have to, you know, trudge through life, and, and I had my, my scheme, my plan. So it was more of like, hey, I'm not necessarily sharing this uh, with other people, but I, I definitely stayed up at night uh, planning for my next uh, way to get over on everyone. And Dan, there's a lot of commonality in that, right? Regardless of age, you know, the the dreams of uh, yachts and houses and girls oh, yeah. or guys, whatever the case may be, and cars, yeah. the, yeah. Uh, the the dreams of big wins, right? Yeah, oh, the, the dream world of the compulsive gambler. The dream world of the compulsive gambler, so well said. And and you know what's interesting, Brian, you, you said something about having a slot machine in your house from Prohibition Era, and I remember listening to Warren Buffett one time at a shareholder conference back in the mid 2000s. And he taught his kids about gambling by putting a slot machine in his house. And we would give them their allowance. He said instinctively, they would go to the slot machine to try to win more and they would consistently lose. And that's how he taught his kids at an early age about the, the you know, the warning signs, the risks of, of gambling. So when you said you had a slot machine in your house, that immediately thought of that, of that story. So that's, that's uh, really interesting. So, Brian, when did gambling start becoming problematic for you? You know, um, it wasn't really until uh, my late 20s, early 30s, and I really uh, – I grew up in Texas, right? So we didn't – back then, we didn't have, um, you know, gambling. Gambling wasn't legal. Uh, people had uh, bookmakers, a good friend two doors down, his parents – uh, had a bookie, and I, you know, I really was kind of, as a younger person, afraid to kind of approach him. But then I, I kind of absorbed a little bit. Um, but when I discovered Las Vegas and the sports book and everything that that entailed in my late twenties, early thirties, man, I was, I was off to the races, so to speak. And walk me through what it was like, like at the height of the addiction. How much time would you spend, you know, on gambling, worried about gambling, picking games, you're know, watching games. Like give give the audience an idea of how bad it was for you and how how it overtook your life. Sure. Well, it, uh, you know, it became became all consuming. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Um, you know, it became an obsession, right? And so, you know, I, I would you know go to Vegas uh, from Southern California, and I would go. I would you know, of course, pick the opportune times like Super Bowl. March right. Madness, and uh, and other times, and you know, in between those trips, uh, I'd fly. Sometimes I'd drive a pretty short drive, three and a half hours faster. If you were like me, and let me stop you there faster. for one second, because I've always described on this show in the three years we've done it, and even you know, in other shows I've been on, that there I had a tangible feeling in my body from my head to my toes. When I got to this Egg Harbor Township toll going down the AC Expressway to the casinos in New Jersey or later in life when I was really gambling out of control on a helicopter going wherever the hell I was going, where I felt, I I don't even know how to describe it really, but like a warmth uh, over my entire body. And I felt the change inside my head as I got closer to the casino physically. 
And I wonder if you experienced that on a three and a half hour drive into the desert as you started to see the lights. Do you remember feeling differently at all uh, on the inside? Uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you just, you just nailed it. I mean, uh, maybe I'm not articulating like I like you did, but I'll try. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, it was like this, like obsession. It like my body. Uh, you know, I drove, and it's like my body was was uh, automated. You know, I just drove there, and then you know, when you from California, when you go I-15 and you come over this bend, uh, come looking down the lights of Vegas, it's like the world was you just. The, the feelings were like the future was just bright and it was amazing and every the stars were aligned and uh, and I just you you couldn't put a roadblock up and 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 have me stop because I it was already I was off to the races I was just emotionally um, and that was actually before I even took off to to go there I was already sure. you know. Yeah, well, uh, we're gonna get to the uh, to the good stuff in recovery, but you know, part of the show is. You know, not hiding uh, the bad stuff, obviously, and talking about it openly so we can try to humanize, you know, addicts and the bad decisions we make. So if you don't mind sharing, as your gambling is getting out of control, walk me through financial risks you were taking, trouble you might have gotten into before the bottom of the barrel moment. Where were you headed and what kind of things were happening to you before you made this commitment to live your life without it? Sure. Well, um, you know, in my line of work, you know, uh, it's real estate related closing services, um, you know, sales rep, done it for a number of years. Um, companies, you know, knew that I had, could produce and make money, right? So, so the best of the best would approach me and, and, um, you know, say, hey, come, come, come work for us. And I would just get like the Pied Piper, I would just leave a perfectly good company to get a guarantee, you know, for X amount of time, which was just basically a, a set uh, salary or set amount of money. And I, I wouldn't have to work for it. And it was just guaranteed every month, regardless of my production. So I was making decisions like that, leaving a perfectly good work environment. At the same time, uh, you know, the 401k was absolutely fertile ground for, you know, at first sure. I would just bow and then I just completely, uh, you know, just, depleted two 401ks and uh, it was just an obsession that just ravenous obsession to get any money I could. How much time did you spend borrowing money and did, did you ever steal money? I did spend uh, time. I did borrow money. There were always, you know, short term schemes that of course in my head I had worked out good intentions. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would pay people back sometimes. I didn't do like the payday loans because I had a pretty good access to money. And again, I mentioned a 401k. I was just sucking that dry. And, um, yeah, I, uh, sorry, the last question you asked me about. Like, did you, did you ever get yourself in, in, uh, in real trouble? Like obviously financial concerns are troubling, you know, borrowing money against 401ks, you know, liquidating 401ks and, you know, having very little money in the bank or any savings, I, I respect all that. We all lived through that. I know I did sure. for sure, Dan did. But I'm wondering if you got to a point of desperation where you started making choices that, you know, potentially risked your freedom. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately, and I'd say absolutely like that. Um, of course, not <clears throat> not proud of, of the decisions I made, but that was just, again, that ravenous appetite to just keep feeding the, the beast um, I would get behind in my mortgage, 
uh, you know, my, my, my house would go into default and I'd, you know, pull it back from the brink with quote unquote, a, a big win. And then I would just find myself in the same boat, um, cars uh, starting to get notices, you know, to get repossessed. Uh, I did get a couple of cars repossessed and, uh, my mom at the time, unfortunately, my dad had passed away a number of years ago. Um, she, I had access to some funds that were like family funds and I started to take it from there. And that was really, um, illegal, you know, for lack of a better word, that's the word. I started taking money from an account that I had access to. And, um, unfortunately I, uh, my, my mom passed away and this is really poignant, but she passed away and I had taken money from her and I hadn't entered the program. And so I had to live with that and still have to live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We'll, uh, we'll hear more from Brian and, of course, uh, Dan Trelaro, uh right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, always good having Dan Trelaro, Epic Global Solutions, and Brian on California. Before we do get to the good stuff and bring Dan back in, if you don't mind sharing, Brian, I know it's tough and it's emotional sometimes to look back on the worst parts you know, of our life and our experiences with gambling. What was your bottom of the barrel moment uh, where you decided enough's enough, I got to go get help and mean it? Uh, what happened? Sure. Uh, you know, I just continued to to live this lie and I was doing things like, you know, gambling all my money away and, uh, you know, getting paid and just completely withdrawing my account. Uh, and, you know, good job. And, and I wouldn't have money to eat and, or have gas to go visit clients. And it was just, it was vexing. And, uh, this went on for, for several months toward the end. And, uh, after like a four day bender, you know, at a casino and, and by the way, I had quote unquote graduated to the native American casinos because Vegas was just too inconvenient for me. Um, I could get my fix here in Southern California, a lot of native American casinos after three to four days of just bottom of the barrel up all night, no sleep. I, uh, I just walked out of a casino here in Southern California on a Monday morning after a long weekend. And just had nothing left in the tank. And I went, you know, this is just, uh, I, I just, I, I, I could say I wasn't suicidal because I wasn't angry like that. I just was heartbroken with myself. And I, I just looked up at the sky and I went, you know, I, I don't believe in God. I don't know about this, you know, but I'm looking into the, into the, to the blue open space, you know, on a beautiful Monday morning here in Southern California. I just got to do something because I have nothing left. I didn't have any gas to get back home. I had no food in my stomach. I had no ability to even buy any food. And I was just living this complete lie. And I just just basically collapsed, uh, bankrupt on all levels. And I started calling therapists and found one. Um, who so now, me to here we are, you know, almost 10 years later. And... I can hear the I can hear the the pep in your step when we first started the show, and it sounds like life is really good right now. So walk me through that process of going from you being emotionally bankrupt, financially bankrupt, morally, you know, emotionally, financially, all those things, and then getting to a place where you are today. I imagine your 
life today is a life you never could have imagined 10 years ago. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> that's, the, that's the best thing I can say in response to that, the short version. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just was, again, I had no will to live. I had no hope. Um, you know, I got a hold of a therapist, uh, and, um, and she sent me to, to a, a meeting, a 12 step meeting. And I, I never listened to anyone. I never listened to anyone. And I certainly wasn't going to listen to her, but for just some reason I showed up, it was, I think, convenient in my, you know, very busy, uh, you know, destroying myself schedule. And I went to a meeting and the most amazing thing happened. People told my story. I couldn't believe it. In my mind, there was nobody like me. I was just, you know, the worst person, public enemy number one, who would ever do the crazy things that I had done. And I heard a little bit of myself from other people who seemed happy. And that, at that point, really gave me a, 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 just, a, just a little sliver of hope. That was enough to keep me going back. It's so funny you say that, Dan. How many times have I yeah. said on this show? Uh, it's one of the... One of the most magical moments in my life that when I went to a rehab, actually, out in Arizona, I went there for all the wrong reasons. I didn't think I had a problem. I went there because I thought my family would be happy. The judge in my case would be happy. And, okay, there's a guy who owns his mistakes, that kind of nonsense. And around the room, 12 people I never met before from all walks of life, all over the country, men and women, told me my story like I had written a script and they stole it. Yep. And that was the most magical moment of my life when it came to recovery because it was at that moment that I was able to say, hey, dummy, they're all describing what you thought was unique to you. And I'm talking about I'm sitting there betting, you know, 15,000 bucks on a hand of blackjack. These are people, no joke, who had a dollar scratch off addiction and yet they processed it the exact same way. Yep. And... I was flabbergasted by that. I still gambled once after that, which was more my ego, and I wanted to prove a point to myself, and uh, and I lost, you know, that you know kind of self talk I had, and then I went and got the help I needed. But Dan, that commonality exists for all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And yeah, I remember going to my me the meeting that really hit me is again hearing my story told by other people. And, and Brian, you said it, and they have a smile on their face. So now you've just jarred me. I mean, you've just woken me up from the darkness, from my own, you know, uh, misery to describe exactly how I'm feeling. But why do you have a smile on your face now? Why are you uh, at peace or why are you content? Why are you able to help other people? I can barely help myself. And how do you get to that point? And those are all the things when I look backwards to be like, I don't understand it. But the fact that you just described me, it, it's interesting. Um, I went for the wrong reasons, too. I thought it would look good before I was sentenced to prison. I agree with you 100 percent, Craig. And I didn't even step foot into my first room. I, I sat in my car the first night. And, you know, the, by the next time I, I drove back, the guy knocked on my window and said, hey, I saw you here sitting in your car last week. You never came inside. Why don't you actually come inside tonight? I'll go in with you. Yeah. And I did. You know, and it, man, it's just you, you can't describe it. But it's that feeling of hearing someone else talk about you. Man, it's like the script was written, Craig. You're right. Brian, before I let you go, and very much appreciate your time, I like to end these segments with someone like yourself. You know, obviously not just talking about the good stuff and how life is worth living and how, you know, the sun is brighter, the sky is bluer, all that, but I think it's valuable always for guys like you and me and Dan 
to also uh, you know share our stories with people, which is why I'm so glad you came on. There are a lot of people listening right now, and I say this every week, that are either at step one and the walls are caving in and they can't possibly see a world, A, without gambling, B, without the trouble they're currently facing, uh, who need help. And I wonder, what do you say to that person who's at step one? They haven't walked into that room yet. They're not sure if they can do it. They're overwhelmed with you know, financial problems, relationship problems, all the things that come along with gambling addiction. What message do you say to those people? Well, thanks for asking so much. And, you know, you guys describing your, your transformation, your awareness. I had a smile on my face because I could just, you know, completely relate. We're, we're brothers, brothers, sisters. You know, we just totally relate. And that's the thing that I would say is that, um, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with this in a way that, you know, all three of us described and, and others describe, you may not see what we're talking about. And this is where the leap has to occur. If you've never done anything in your life, trust what we're saying. Get out of your own head. Do something different. Listen to another person, especially like we're talking about, and trust that what we're describing is real and you're not so special and so different. Well, admittedly, like I thought I was, like you guys thought you were. You're not so different that there's no hope for you. Rephrased. There is hope for you. Get out of your own way and listen to another person, and miracles can happen. And you may not see it. I just want to say it again. But fall back into the arms of people who have been there, and miracles will happen. They can happen, and life can be better than you ever imagined. Mm. I, I appreciate that. Uh, very much appreciate your time. Hope you do have a great uh, Christmas and New Year. And uh, you keep surfing out there. I'm sure it keeps you out of trouble. And I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much, you guys. Appreciate it. Have a great holiday and uh, take care. Be well. Thank you, brother. Hi, Dan. Before we get out of here, I I should mention this is our last show for 2023. And and it's hard to believe this, but uh, it also brings an end to the third year now of Hello, My Name is Craig. So in January, yep, we start year number four. And uh, appreciate you, of course, to be my partner in this and taking this voyage with me. And I want to give you the opportunity because I know you've been through it pretty good and you spend your entire life now, you know, educating uh, young people on college campuses, but also always there, you know, uh, to help other people who are in need. And I want to give you a platform just to talk about where you're at in life and how grateful you are for these amazing opportunities you've had in the last couple of years. Yeah, thank you, Craig. First of all, just saying thank you. Um, thankful for you and for our friendship and for the three years spent just on the radio. But then aside from that, um, getting to get to know you um, as just a great person and a great human being. So I appreciate that. You know, 2023 was definitely a challenging year. Um, I respect you and, and you gave me some space. And I think a couple of things that I reflect on, you know, we are traveling. I think we reached over 20,000 college student athletes for the NCAA this year. You know, we're making a massive impact. Uh, we're educating. We're, we're highlighting the concerns. We're highlighting what makes athletes vulnerable and college-age individuals. But I think what really stood out to me for this year is that even though we do this for a living and it's our love and our passion and it's our purpose, it's my purpose, I also have to take a step back sometimes for self-care. And I think 2023 kind of taught me to uh, create better balance 
where possible. Not always easy when you're traveling around the globe, right? Um, but where possible to take balance because in recovery, recovery is very fragile. We hear that from our guests week in and week out, the fragility of life, the fragility of recovery. And, and sometimes I think that gets lost in the shuffle. And I don't think I acknowledge that enough. And recovery is a journey. You know, it's not an end all that once you stop gambling, you're good. That's not the case. You know, far from it. There's challenges. There's, there's temptations that creep up. And, and life throws curveballs to all of us. So just being mindful that it is a one-day-at-a-time process, whether you're one day in the program, 14 years in the program, or 50 years in the program. It's one day at a time. And this, this show and, and this year has really kind of continued to reinforce that. So, you know, I appreciate you, like I said. And I think the, the last two guests we had the last two weeks have both had great kind of charges at the end of the interview. Let, two, last week, the guy said, don't take advice from the last person you gambled with, right? I mean, that's yeah. poignant. And this week, it's miracles can happen, you know, just fall back into the arms of those who've been there and learn from others. And, man, I tell you, that's just a great, great ending to the year, man. So I appreciate it. Yeah, and I think one of the things, you know, that gets lost on people who don't have experience, you know, having to recover from something, any kind of addiction, is that, you know, what you said is very important, and that is, you know, you don't fix it overnight. And, you know, this concept of a journey gets lost on a lot of people. Like, you haven't gambled in over a decade. I haven't gambled in, you know, five and a half years now. And while I feel very comfortable, I'm not going to gamble today. That doesn't mean all the problems I created because of my gambling suddenly go away. You know, just because I haven't gambled in over five years doesn't mean I don't have financial problems. I do. Doesn't mean I'm not trying to rebuild relationships all these years later. I, I'm trying. And there, there are some things, to be fair, you never get back. And I always think right. it's important that while we do share a lot of these positive stories, the reason we want to hear the negative stuff is that it's raw and it's real and I don't want anyone to ever think that we're hiding from it. You know, I got arrested. You know, it, it's, it'll be seven years coming up since I got arrested. But if you don't think there are still major ramifications of me getting in trouble and the life I was leading prior to my arrest, well, you're wrong. Like, life is great now. But it's still a lot of work. And it's not where I was before I started making bad decisions and I think we got to make sure that that's never lost on anybody either. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I, I think those are the good points to raise. Um, we will get back to things that are really important to us, and some we continue to try. Um, we can't control the responses of other people, too. You know, I, you and I can, and can do and, and do the next right thing. That's what my sponsor always said, do the next right thing. But we can't control if someone chooses to forgive. We can't choose, you know, we can't control how people respond or react to us. We can just continue to do the next right thing um, and, and, and go to bed sleeping well at night. Yep. Well, look, I appreciate it and the friendship, as you know very much. Uh, this is our last show for 2023. We'll start year four in January, and we have a bunch of exciting things coming down the pike for everybody next year. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody and a Happy New Year to everybody. And Joe Beningo is up next, and we'll see you in January in 2024. Thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.